Blog Talk Radio. Kingway sucks, beard lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Cedar's cat, Kempak's cat, Q is sad, enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are God, I just love that song so much. It always gets me pumped and in just a perfect mood for Trek talking. And of course, we're live. It's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that means it's time for Trek talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And we have a really great show planned for you guys tonight. Sandy Gimple is going to be with us. Of course, you guys know her as the M113 Salt Vampire from the TOS episode, The Man Trap. She also played a Telosian in the original unaired episode of The Cage. And she played an Ovian named Cetal in Battlestar Galactica. You guys remember that one, right? But that's not all. She also doubled Billy Mooney on Lost in Space. She danced with Elvis Presley. She had pizza with Elvis. She's, she's done it all. And she's going to be with us shortly. So please, please put our phone number in your speed dial, 646-668-2433, and give us a call and have your questions ready. Or, coincidentally, it happens to be her birthday. So maybe you just want to call up and wish her a happy birthday and send her some salt. Who knew? Anyways, 646-668-2433 is a number, and Sandy will be joining us very shortly. But wait, there's more. We're also going to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks, um, where pleasant fountains lie, which marks the return of Jeffrey Combs to Star Trek. And uh, how did Dr. Pulaski make TNG great? Discovery wins another Emmy, and Star Trek, the motion picture director's cut, gets a 4K remaster. And in this week's episode of Shatner Says, What? We're back saying what in his own words. We also have fan shout-outs and birthdays. So we have a very busy show. And with me, as usual, are my truck experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man. I was doing good before the show started, and then the song got me pumped, and then you just told me that Sandy Gimple's birthday is today? Are you kidding me? I'm doing awesome. It's a great. It's going to be a great one. And we also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. The weather's starting to cool down just a little bit. Now we're only in the 90s. We might oh, is that all? Next week. We <laughs> might actually start seeing all soon. Just a whole other hey, scale. Other than just triple digits every day. <laughs> I, don't I know. know it, was, it was really warm today here. It was like 77. We had to put the AC on. 
It was well, unbearably see, we, hot. We have been seeing 80, 85 recently, but, you know, I, I just, it cracks me up every time Charles says it's cooling down into the 90s. It just makes me smile because it is a whole different scale down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep, it definitely is. Not not here in Vermont, though. It's a nice, nice temperate day, nice typical fall day. So, guys, um, we always start off our show going around the globe and uh, finding out where our listeners are centered from. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, how are our numbers look this week? Oh, man, our numbers are looking great. We we had a bunch of new listeners this week, and we are super excited about it. Still about three-quarters of them coming from the United States, but uh, all of our international numbers are up this week. Canada is still in that number one spot with 6.35% of our listeners. Thank you to our brothers and sisters to the north. We really, really appreciate it and uh, love living on the same continent as you. <laughs> uh, in our number two spot... UK, holding on steady with 4.89% of our listeners. UK, let's get to five. We can do it. I know I know we can. We've been there before. Let's go back. Uh, but we really, really appreciate your support all the way across the pond as well. In that number three spot, the folks down under Australia with only with 4.8% of our listeners. Are you kidding me? Nine hundredths of a percentage behind the UK. So we could see a little UK-Australia duke out next week. Uh, we'll have to see, but 4.8% uh, of our listeners is amazing. Thank you so much to the folks from Australia. In our number four spot, of course, we have Ireland with 1.84% of our listeners, up just a skosh from last week. And in the number five spot, hold and steady, Germany with 1.43% of our listeners. Thank you to Every one of our listeners, uh, we love you, whether you come from the U.S. or from New Guinea or from Germany or from the U.K. or from South Africa or Iceland or any of the other really, really cool places that we have heard from listeners, right? Yeah, we love it. We love it. We couldn't do this show without you guys. It means so much to us that you're out there. And if you want to be part of our Star Trek family, and I, I do say family because um, we work very hard to keep our Facebook page free of harassment and hassles and negativity. And we try to be positive about Star Trek. You don't have to love it all. You know, that's fine. If you don't like Voyager or you don't like TOS, hey, you're welcome to your opinion. But we like to keep our board clean and we like to keep it fresh and we like to keep it fun and we like to keep it positive. So if that sounds good to you, then head on over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, A-N-D, and uh, join our family. We'd love to have you aboard. And right now, we're holding steady at 65,518 followers on our Facebook page. So uh, maybe you can be 65,519. So just head on over there, give us a like, give us a follow, and join our family. We'd love to have you. And Eric, speaking of fan shout-outs, who do you have on your list? Oh, we got some great fan shout-outs this week. Our first one is going out to uh, a place that we've heard from uh, only once or twice, I think, but fairly new on our board, Alexander Reykjavik from Prague and the Czech Republic is saying hello to us. So thank you very much, Alexander, for listening to us all the way from the Czech Republic. It sounds like an amazing place that I have never been, 
but I have looked up a few uh, facts here and there uh, in the encyclopedias along the way, and it looks like a really, really cool place with some great scenery, so I'd love to check it out one day. Thank you for listening all the way from Prague. Karsten Hulitzer, uh, except, uh, excuse me, I think I can do better because there's an umlaut over that O. Is it Hutzer? Hutzer, maybe? That's my guess with my uh, high school German training. Karsten Hutzer from Zurich in the Schweiz in Switzerland. Thank you so much for listening to us from that little country in the middle of all the other countries. Uh, that sounds like an amazing place I also have not been. And my final shout-out goes out to Jose Manuel Espejo from Asturias in España, Spain. So thank you so much for listening to us all the way from Spain. I have been to Barcelona. Uh, I have no idea where Asturias is. I forgot to look it up. Sorry about that, Jose. But I can tell you Barcelona is a piece of work. I love that city. It was awesome. Uh, So thank you for listening from Spain. Charles, who's on your list this week? Well, let's start off with Robert Lee Reed from El Paso, Texas, the Galaxy, Gene Rodberry himself. Less pressure held from Southeast London. Sounds like fun. I'd be love to get another trip into London. Mm-hmm. And finally, top fan Mario Meyer from Germany. Where one one generation of my family on my dad's side came into the country from. And Jim, I bet you have a couple of people. I bet he might have okay. somebody from New York again. New York City? What? Yeah, um say what? So um <laughs> we'd like to say hello, thank you, and kapla to Gloria Helmer who says I'm originally from Buffalo, New York area, but now I live in Alabama. I've been to Buffalo many, many, many times. Great, great city. Never been to Alabama, though, but I hear it's a sweet home, Alabama. (laughs) Anyways, thank you for listening to Gloria. We'd also like to say kapla and live long and prosper to Harvey Lewitt from New York, New York. That's right. Represent, buddy. Represent. Um, you know, I spent my summers in Brooklyn, New York. So I love New York, Coney Island, hot dogs, the whole nine yards. So thank you for listening in New York City to Harvey. And last but definitely not least, from, from the land of my grandmother, uh, we'd like to say thank you to G. Wright from Glasgow, Scotland. Oh, I'm sorry. My grandmother and my grandfather. Uh, Glasgow, Scotland is where my grandmother is from. Um, Ireland is where my grandfather was from. And he says he's from Glasgow, Scotland, but he's now living in Northern Ireland. So that covers my grandmother and my grandfather both. So thank you so much to listening for us to G. Wright. And now it's time to do our Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. And uh, guys, we we're gonna we're gonna continue on with our birthdays. And uh, once Sandy joins us, we're gonna we're gonna cut it short so that we can get Sandy on. 
And wherever we are, we're just going to pick up with that after Sandy's done. Okay, guys? And once again, our number here is 646-668-2433. Have your questions ready, or maybe you just want to say happy birthday. So put our number in speed dial and give us a call. She'll be joining us very, very shortly. And we always start off our Star Trek birthdays remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, this week our remembrances start out with actor Vince Howard, who of course played the M113 uh, salt vampire creature, but uh, when that creature was in the form of Uhura's Swahili crewman, uh, when she gets very taken uh, aback by someone who speaks Swahili to her in TOS's The Man Trap. So Vince Howard would have had a birthday this week. Uh, great actor and fun that he was in that episode. So happy birthday, Vince. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday and sending out our remembrances to Kathy Brown, who played the character of Dela in TOS's episode Wink of an Eye. Uh, the guys were reminding me before the show here that that's the episode where uh, everyone is moving so fast that the folks on the Enterprise cannot even see them, and they kind of have to do some shenanigans to sort of get in phase. That's kind of that first idea of getting in phase with somebody else uh, from the original series. So Kathy Brown... Uh, would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Kathy. We're sending out our remembrances and love as well to Harry Towns, who played the character of Rhaegar in TOS's Return of the Archons. So happy birthday to Harry. We're also saying happy birthday. I think that's one of, of, in my my old brain, one of my earliest Star Trek memories. There's a, a couple of them. They kind of meld together, but... Um, that particular episode, Return of the Archons, I think is one of the very first episodes I remember seeing. And I, I remember it because the, um, the lawgivers were like giant Jawas. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought of them as. They were giant Jawas. And so that, that episode sticks in my mind. Dagger of the Mind is another one. Arena and Spectre of the Gun. I think those were among the first Star Trek episodes um, I remember w- watching on Eleven Alive. Um, in Brooklyn, New York, when I used, used to get up and watch it on uh, uh, Chiller Theater at midnight would play Star Trek, and I would sneak out of bed and watch it. And those, those episodes are the ones I remember the most vividly. So I think that's one of the first ones I ever saw. Just, yeah, just a little side note. <laughs> that's awesome. No, it's, it's absolutely a classic, classic episode of TOS, and it's a really good one, and um, definitely one that if you are looking for uh, – stuff that really represents what TOS looks like and and means that's a great episode to, to watch. So yeah, I totally agree with you, Jim. Uh, So Harry Towns from that episode. Uh, We're also saying happy birthday and sending out our love to Jack Perkins, who was the master of the games in TOS's episode, Red and Circuses. Uh, Got to pull out the old Spartan armor there and uh, represent that in in a nice Star Trek episode. They always found very interesting ways to use props that were laying around the studio, didn't they? Oh, they they were great for that. Wow, absolutely. So uh, Jack Perkins, uh, Master of the Games in the episode. Happy birthday to Jack. We're also saying happy birthday to Anna Karen, who played the Sarpedian Mort in the TOS episode All Our Yesterdays. Uh, also a very cool episode. And I feel like, did she appear later 
maybe she didn't appear later either, but I feel like she's got some other connections to Star Trek as well. Uh, would have had a birthday this week. A great actress, Anna Karen. Happy birthday. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Jerry Ayers, who played Ensign O'Earley uh, in TOS's episode Arena, and also played another red shirt, Ensign Rizzo, in TOS's episode Obsession. Uh, that guy had a look, man, didn't he? he? He was one of those guys who had that sort of classic uh, 60s look to him. I don't know what that means exactly, but he just, like, strong jaw, you know, cleft chin. They gave him the pointy sideburns. Uh, but always a red shirt, poor guy. Yeah, how many people get to how many people get to die twice on Star Trek? You know, not only are you a red shirt, you're a double red shirt. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the only people get to die they're not named people like Hoffman or uh, true a couple of other gentlemen. That's right. Yep. That's right. Nice work, Jerry. Aries dying yep. in two different episodes yep. in a very Star Trek way. <laughs> and uh, our final remembrance this week goes out to Jack Donner, uh, who played a very, very awesome Romulan uh, Tal from TLS's en- uh, episode, uh, The Enterprise Incident. Um, I love your Star Trek Attack Wing card. Um, I do like that episode. Some people don't like it. I like it. Uh, and I thought he was great, Romulan. I just maybe I just am a sucker for Romulan episodes. I don't know. Well, that's all right. Happy that's birthday, cool. Jack Donner and Charles. Yep. Uh, now the birthdays for the folks who are still with us. Well, actually, actually, oh, no. before we yes. do, we we, we 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 yes, we do, guys. Yeah. Our phone number here six four six 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 eight two four three three. And uh, we talked a little bit earlier about birthdays, and we had one from the Man Trap. And with us right now on the line, if I can get this, there we go. With us right now on the line, we have Sandy Gimple herself, the M113 Salt Vampire from the Man Trap. How you doing today, Sandy? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're, we're doing great. And we were doing our Star Trek birthdays, and guess whose name came up on the list? Yours. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. So it's been a while since we talked. And so I wanted to first I wanted to ask you what it was like to be at the Star Trek 55 year mission in Las Vegas. And did you ever think when you put on that rubber suit and and played the salt vampire (laughs) way, way back then and had the pulsing Pelosian head? on the cage that was canceled and not even picked up. Did you ever think that you would be around 55 years later talking about Star Trek? Well, I was hoping I'd be around 55 years later. But <laughs> talking about Star Trek, <laughs> No, you know, when I work, I go in, we go in and we work and we go home and we go on to another show and you don't think much about it because you really have no idea which ones are really going to do an impact and which ones are going to disappear. You really don't. So no. This is amazing. And, and what was it like to be at the 55-year uh, mission down in Las Vegas? I was supposed to be there, but I couldn't make it. I, I ended up getting pneumonia, and my doctor oh, no. recommended I don't go. So Charles went and took care of the Trek talking table without me, and 
so I didn't get a chance to go. But what was it like to be there to have, to celebrate the 55 years of Star Trek? You know, it was really interesting because, you know, I did the 50-year reunion. It was the first show I'd ever done. And there were so many people there. It was just insane. And I think I did one other one after that. And this one, they expected like 9,000 people. Oops, I'm sorry, I just dropped you. They expected like 9,000 people to be there. And I think about 3,500 people, you know, guests showed up. Um, and apparently a lot of the signers um, had canceled also. So it really was a pretty slow show considering what I had seen in the past. And the COVID restrictions were off the wall. I mean, just totally off the charts. They, um, they not only wanted you to have your vaccination, if you, hadn't, if you weren't vaccinated, then you had to have the, um, the test three, two days before. And then they were doing rapid tests at the door. And every 10 minutes, you heard somebody over the loudspeaker saying, you've got to wear your mask. You've got to have your mask over your nose. You guys, was like, after a while, you felt like saying, yep. <laughs> I'm going to burn this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, and, then by, and then by Saturday, they started making the announcement, you can't just wear the dome shield. You have to wear the face mask. Okay, exactly. if you're wearing a dome shield. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because they, they were saying some people were walking around with the, the plastic shield and not have the mask on underneath it. And then Saturday, you're right, they started yelling about that. And, and, and it was, you know, it was interesting because, first of all, everybody was either vaccinated or had COVID tested. And plus, I said at the door, they were even doing rapid tests. So it was it was pretty safe inside as far as I was concerned. But the interesting part is, as a signer, you know, people are coming up and going, well, can I take a picture with you? Can I, you know, can we do the selfie thing? And, you know, of course you're going to do that. You're not going to do it with mask on. You're going to pull the mask off and you're standing right next to somebody or you're hugging them. So I don't know. <laughs> well, even though I couldn't be there, I was following it all on Facebook and I saw some great pictures that you posted of of you standing in front of a giant Telosian from the cage, yeah. uh, <laughs> which was I thought was pretty cool. That picture was probably six feet tall, and it was in the main hallway, the one with um, Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the my the guy that um, Jeff Polk, who you know actually got me into the show said, you got to go outside. we got to take a picture of you in front of this poster. It's incredible. <laughs> it, it, was. it was. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty neat to see you standing in front of you, a giant you, <laughs> a humongous <laughs> you. <laughs> that was, that was neat. But yeah, um, yeah I, I was disappointed. I couldn't make it. So I had to live it through watching it on Facebook. Maybe next year. You know, <laughs> You know, Maybe it's, next it's, year. I hope, I pray to God next year. And, you know, the other thing is, I mean, I was supposed to go to Boston um, the first week in September after the show at, for uh, an, another Star Trek show. It's in Mil- Milan, Milan. I can't think, not Milan, but it's someplace close, about two hours out of Chicago. And um, we canceled the show because they kept having, they had so many cancellations. They said it just wasn't going to be worth going. Yeah, it's, I, 
it's really a shame. I, I, I hope this gets under control and, and things can get back to uh, normal really, really soon, I, I hope. Great to God, yes. <laughs> you know, well, um, Sandy, one of the sad things about poor Jim is guess who, guess what one person he wanted to meet at the convention. Oh. He yep. wanted to meet was, the Gorn. Yep. Well, he was there. Who was, yep. who was next door to us at the table? Who oh, he was next door to you. To? Bobby yep. was right okay. there next to us. Gotcha. Yep, Charles sent me a picture of our table, and sitting right next to our table was Bobby Clark the Gorn, and he was the one person I was really excited to get a chance to talk to, and he was right next to us, and I couldn't be there, so uh, oh, maybe wow. next year. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw, I saw him. Right, I know exactly where he was. You see, um, you know, after you walk in the front door, you make a right turn, and he was right there. Yep. Yep, I missed him. So next week on our show, we're going to have Ian Spelling on, and he has a new Star Trek uh, book out called The Star Trek yeah. Celebration. And I was flipping through it, and I, it's like page 134 or 136, <laughs> and I come across a picture of you. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I mean, yep. <laughs> there's a whole article about you in there, I have which I look. thought was really cool. I do too. I mean, Ian is, he's such a great guy and he had called and asked, you know, had interviewed me years ago. And um, actually when we did this on stage the first year, he was the one that was my interviewer when we were doing the big on stage in the big auditorium in Vegas. So um, I got to know him pretty well. And he had called and asked me about doing an art, you know, doing the book and, and we talked a whole bunch, and he sent. Um, they actually sent me a book. I got it yesterday, and I opened up the page, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I did too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah I, I was like, cool. "Wow, that is great." I was, I was yeah. like, "Geez, I'll have to ask her about that tomorrow." <laughs> yeah, How no, that, I was. I was absolutely honored that he put that much into my little kind of thing. It's a good picture of you too. It's it's the one of you holding your head, re, reading a script. I think it is. It looks it looks like you're reading a script. I think you're reading a script or something. It's a black and white photo. But, anyways. Did I lose you guys? Uh, I still uh, hear you. Oh, there we go. You hear me? Oh, okay. I yep. couldn't hear anyone. That's right. Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. In December, here in Los Angeles, you know they're doing an event, uh, the Los Angeles Comic-Con, and they're doing a special event for, uh, uh, I can never say her name right, uh, Nicole Nichols. Yep. And um, Yes. They're doing a big, huge event for her at this at the Comic Con, so we're all going to be there. Uh, myself, oh, cool. Barbara Luna, a bunch of people. Yeah, and we're going to be signing autographs there oh. also. That'll be, that be awesome. 
Sorry? Sandy, is that the one in the beginning of September? No, this one is in December. It's the no, Los said, Angeles. Is that the one in the beginning of December? I oh, might yes, I make that one. Oh, good. The, the, the second floor, from what I hear, I think the second floor, part of it is going to be the fleet. It's oh, wow. The, uh, the um, cosplay group, the cosplay ship. And they've okay. been asking if we can go down and be their uh, part of that. That would be cool. Yeah, I know that wow. uh, Barbara Luna. Barbara Luna is the one that you know told me that she made arrangements for me to be go to go if I wanted to go, and I said absolutely. And um, I guess it's going to be a whole big separated for her and, and for Star Trek. Wow, that's that is so oh, awesome. Go. Yeah, it should be really nice because I know she's not well. No, yeah. no. We, we we talked to her uh, her sister on the podcast, oh, I don't know, nine, nine or ten months ago about that whole situation, uh-huh. which, you know, and that was very informative. So, Sandy, um, since we talked to you last, um, <laughs> Michael Burnham and Mr. Spock made a visit back to Talos 4. They hooked up with Vina and the Talosians. What did you think of the new uh, take on the Talosians versus the Talosians when you actually were a Talosian on the cage? If you, I'm, I'm assuming you saw that episode. No, I didn't. No, I was okay. I going to say, I didn't see that. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. In, they... in, the new, in the new series? Yeah, on, on Star Trek Discovery. They they went back to Talos Four and they had the singing plants and the whole thing and, and oh, wow. a, a new modern take on the Talosians. Huh? Uh, what slightly, do they look like? They're they're slightly different. Um, one of the things that always freaked me out about the Talosians was the pulsing veins in their heads. Um, <laughs> it, it just something about that. When I remember watching it, and the little veins were, were pulsing in their heads, and that just yeah, yeah, just freaked me out. <laughs> and uh, oh, that was one of the things that that I remember about the Talosians was the pulsing veins and uh, the new to I I don't remember Charles did the did the new Talosians have pulsing veins? I don't recall. I'm not sure if they were quite pulsing, but there was a little more emphasis on the the, the skull. Yeah, they definitely pulsed. I mean, the shape of the head was a little bit different, but there was definitely some pulsing going on because it was a nice homage back to the, the TOS right. version. Well, in fact, they yeah, even, that's how they they even took, they even took yep. the episode and kind of tied the page into into the new enterprise. Really, oh, wow. was a good homage. I'll have yeah, to go they... look at and see if I can find it and look at it, watch it. That'd be cool. Oh, they did a they did a beautiful um, tie-in. They had Captain Pike standing on the bridge of the Discovery, and he was remembering Vina and the cage, and they used the original footage from the cage with Jeffrey Hunter. And to set that all up with Spock on the planet with the singing plants and the whole nine yards. 
And then it kind of zooms in on him today, standing on the bridge of the discovery to kind of, to make the point that this is the same guy and this is the same place. It was, and they even use the original, the original music from that episode as well. in that little montage, oh, wow, it, was beautifully done. it really was. It. So um, yeah, something else I, I wanted to ask you about was not only did Star Trek just celebrate a birthday, but September 18th happened to be the 44th anniversary of Battlestar Galactica. Another great yeah. show that you were on that shaped me as a, a young person growing up. And uh, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if I asked you last time or not, but if I did, we're just going to go over it again, I guess. Uh, when you when you were on Battlestar Galactica, did you have an opportunity to um, work with Richard Hatch at all? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean – you got to understand, we shot that whole thing at Universal, on stage. The whole, most, I'd say 90% of it was on stage at Universal. So everybody was there, you know, and Richard was, you know, on the set all the time also. And I'm an amazing, amazing guy. Just the nicest person you'll ever want to meet in your life. Um, but the ant-like creature, the, you know, sea tall, who I played, the Obeon monster, or whatever, ant-like creature <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that was that was a hard job that was really a hard job i mean we we went over to um industrial light and magic to have the costumes built and we were there for three months there was three or four of us um i think it was, it was two of us actually that had prosthetics so we had there was a man from ucla came that really builds you know, prosthetics for people that don't have arms and stuff and put them, strapped them on our bodies so that it looked like we had four arms that could move and um, taught me, literally taught me how to make, by moving my muscles, how to get these, these arms to move and pick up a glass of water and drink it and put it down and pick up the shovel with, you know, like one real arm and one phony arm and make everything work. So, that took like three months, and then we went back. Then we went to the set and started shooting. <laughs> and they had us on. Um, how do I explain this? On hydraulic lifters, so that we were underneath the stage. And then they push a button, and then we. I would come up out of the ground of the underneath, so it looked like we we're coming out of the dirt to the top of the stage. And then you'd have to walk across the stage. Plus, the fact is, it was very hard to see out of those things. And felt very claustrophobic in them <laughs> but um it worked out really cool it was it was really a cool job the um I probably shouldn't tell you guys this but <laughs> I think we were into shooting like three or four weeks and John Dykster and um our producer um um god I can't what's his name um the big producer that was at Universal it did Battlestar Galactica. Um, Glenn Larson? Yes, Glenn Larson. Thank you. <laughs> when you're older, what can I tell you? I just had a birthday. Anyway, <laughs> they decided they, were, they weren't agreeing. I won't say they were fighting. They were disagreeing on what these monsters should look like. And that if the monsters were that intelligent and could, you know, 
do the things they could do and run the planet and, you know, everything, they were, they should have clothes on. They were, they looked naked because of course, you know, they, they didn't have clothes on. So we ended up reshooting everything we had shot for three weeks. We shot another three weeks with monk robes over the entire costume, which cost at least $10,000 a piece. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just, everything was fine, and it went back to the old way of shooting it. It was crazy. Wow. But again, you lost the word. Yeah. I mean, you were ant creatures. Ants don't wear clothes. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> well, that's what Glenn Larson was saying, but then they were saying, you know, John was saying, well, they are ants, true, but they are, they, you know, Seatall can play the harp and they mine for, you know, minerals and they have a whole community. So they've evolved beyond not wearing clothes. This was his thoughts, I believe, in that. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. kind of crazy. <laughs> I know uh, one of the first years and years ago, one of the first people I interviewed on this show was Richard Hatch, and he was such a gentleman. He was he such a great guy. Was. He loved the fans, and he he was just mm-hmm. a heartfelt. He just felt like a. I, I wish I had a chance to meet him in person, but talking to him like this, he was such a a warm-hearted, gentle, kind person, and I really yeah, enjoyed talking to him. Um, and it was great for the first time, you know. Um, oh no! I mean, so. that's who he was. He's just, you know, he talked. To, he talked to everybody. He was kind, just a perfect gentleman. And you know, you meet somebody like that, and and this, especially in my business, you know, that doesn't think that the world revolves around them. You know, it's so refreshing and it's so nice. Yeah, he he really put me at ease, and he was. It was such a pleasure to talk to him and. So, anyways, uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and then I, I want to give Eric and Charles a chance to talk to you. I don't want to hog up all of your time, but um, <laughs> you also worked on another show, <laughs> classic show, that was another influence on me growing up. And, of course, I'm talking about Lost in Space. And um, uh, you've, been on all the, you've been on all the big ones. <laughs> You know, I thought I'm very blessed. I got, you know, with all the shows, and there's been hundreds of shows I've worked on, The there's three or four that are just iconic. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Lost in Space, and also Aeroplane, which I did, which is everybody knows about that show and the Girl Scout fight in the bar. So I, you know, out of all the shows, those are really crazy. Yeah, it's just it's incredible that your name just keeps popping up, you know, <laughs> over and over again, and all, all the stuff that I grew up watching. And when I'm going back to look for things to talk to you about, I'm like, oh my god, she was in that and this and that and this and this and that and that. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's just, killing just me. A, I'm very very blessed. Very blessed. I was just, able to make. I'm able to make a living at doing what I do and I'm still working. So I have no complaints. 
That that's wonderful. And um, let me see, Eric, did you have a question or or two for Sandy? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Sandy, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> it's always awesome to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, I was looking back and I was trying to think of things that I had not yet asked you about, and there was one thing that ties into. Uh, another part of Star Trek that I really love, I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek Voyager fan, Kate Mulgrew fan in particular, uh, love pretty much everything she's in, um, think she's like just smart as a whip and I just want to like, I don't know, hang out with her. Uh, so I, I went back through your biography and I noticed that you were a second unit director on Mrs. Columbo and I, I, I admit I do not know what that means. Uh, but uh, she was obviously in that series, uh, you know, it was kind of situated between Peter Fox, like old Columbo and his newer Columbo. So what right. was that like? Did you, yeah, just can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, okay, that was, we shot that at Universal in 1980. And um, they they were going to do the, they're doing the series, they're going to do the series, uh, Kate Columbo or Mrs. Um, Columbo, whatever they decided to call it, and Kate Mulgrew is the lead, and uh, they were looking for, they had hired the stunt coordinator, which means he runs all of the action units, and so something happened with him, and they let him go, and one of the producers on the lot, who I knew, called me and said, go in and talk to the executive producer right now, and girls had not really been running shows at that point, as far as coordinating, you know, running um as as a stunt coordinator, which means you hired the guys and you you helped set up the action and all that. So I went in and they and I talked to the producer and he hemmed and hawed about it and said, you know, I don't know, let me call you back. He said there's a problem and I said, what's the problem? You afraid if you fire me, you're going to get in trouble. I'll sue you or something because over at Fox that had already happened and they were very hesitant about hiring a woman. So I, you know, he knew me well enough, and I said, "Look, if, if anything happens that you don't like, I'll quit. I promise you my word of honor." And he said he agreed. He said, "Okay." And so I got the job as the stunt coordinator on the show. So now we go to work. It's the first week of shooting, and we shoot seven days. They can't finish the episode because there's so much stunt work in it. There's just too much to shoot in seven days. <laughs> so. Here I am. I have fought my, you know, fought and fought to get the stunt coordinating job, right? Because no girl has done that. Right. So they call me into the office and they said, my um, production manager says to me, okay, we're going to have to do a second unit, which means you take all of the stunts and you take a separate camera crew and lighting crew and everybody out and shoot it all by yourself. Got it. But. But what we're going to do is we're going to hire Bob, whatever his name was, to run the show, to do second unit director. And we want, you on the, we, we want you on the set to help him because you know how we're shooting now. And I looked at him and said, no, I can help him. <laughs> I want to direct. I said, that's fine, but I'm not going to help him. So. That's the way it goes. And my day was over. I, 
So I walked up, you know, I walked out of the office, went to my car, sat down in my car, and started crying because I figured I just blew the stunt coordinating job too. Right. You know, right. you just didn't. Girls just didn't do what I opened my mouth sure. and did. Yeah, yeah. And two hours later, Dan Franklin, who was my production manager, called me and said, "This is Universal." He said, "Black Tower, 9 a.m. tomorrow. Sign your contract. We're buying you your director's card." Yes. Awesome. That <laughs> is I awesome. Did. I love it. Yeah. When your so value rec- is finally recognized. I guess. I mean, you know, I was lucky, and I I directed the first the first episode, and they liked what I did apparently, and we did eleven episodes, and I directed second unit on every single one of them. Well, you know, wow. I it's I, I have not. I, I mean, I've actually seen uh, several episodes of this show. I, I can't say that I've seen the entire series, but I remember watching it and thinking that I, I really liked it, and I liked the different take. I mean, I, I do think, you know, I mean, you, I'm sure the writer's room was still full of um, still full of dudes. Uh, so oh, there yeah. Are some, <laughs> so there are some things in the series that, you know, had it been made today might have been a little bit different. But uh, but that's so cool that you were given an entirely like separate crew and you kind of were able to run with mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and I've directed several other shows since then. I did Hearts of the West with Bull Bridges. I directed Second Unit. Uh, they came from outer space. Um, oh my gosh, there were shows, um, two or three other shows at Universal that I ended up I got to direct the Second Unit on because. Um, once you get your director's card, you know, then you're eligible to do these things and people don't question it. So for people who aren't in the business, which I am not, uh, I understand that it's kind of a very regulated thing with actors and directors. So when you say director's card, what exactly does that mean? Well, that means you're a director. In other words, um, the directors, there's a DGA, which is a union, and Screen Actors Guild after, which is another union. So if you're an actor, you're in one union, and if you're in you're a director, you're in a different union. Right. So if you're if you get to be a director, you have to you get a card. You get to buy. It costs money to be in the guild, and they give you a, a director's card that you put in your wallet, and you can prove that that's you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think when I, in 1980, when I joined, I think it was $5,000 to join. Wow. And now it's, Oof. wow, today it's, it's over 10. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it'd have to be very, at least that, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is at least that. I don't, really don't know how much it is today. I'm still a member, of course, but I don't know what the, uh, you know, new member has to pay. Sure, but, sure. But um, Screen, Screen Access goes the same way. You have to pay to get into that union, but you've got to have, you know, you have to either have a job or um, I think you can work background um, three consecutive days on the same show, and then you're eligible to get your your um, union card. But you have to pay for that also. But, um, yeah, it's it's pretty complicated. It's like one of those things that says, what do they say? You, you need a job to get in, but you have to... Well, there's something about you have to have the job and then to do this, but you got to get the job first. I don't know. Yeah. It's a back and forth thing. It's almost like a chicken <laughs> and egg thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And it's it's really really difficult. I mean, like I said, I 
I guess I have a big mouth. I don't know. What? <laughs> you know, <when> I want... <laughs> you're at the point in your life where you're allowed to have a big mouth. <laughs> oh, what a great story. Well, thank you, Sandy. Um, yeah, Charles, uh, do you have something you want to talk to Sandy about tonight? Yes, I was going to – you brought it up, and now I'm curious about the stunt work or what you did in the airplane. You did the Girl Scout fight? Sandy, you said you worked in airplane? Yes. Did we lose Sandy? Remember, oh, there we go. I leaned yep, on the phone. Back. I'm sorry. Um, remember the the – the bar in the bar when they were in yep. the bar and the two Girl Scouts were sitting at the table and they started a big fight. Yes. Yep. That was me. Oh. So two of that my was... favorite stunt women two of my favorite stunt women are an airplane man. Who's your other favorite Leslie was in Leslie was in the Leslie was in the airport scene when a plane oh, came okay. through the window. Right. She was in. Okay. She was in that scene. Oh, yeah. So uh, this... it with what... Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I didn't hear. Yeah, the um, that fight, that Girl Scout fight that I did, was the first knockout drag out fight the two girls had ever done. Usually, it was hair pulling and screaming and that kind of stuff, and this was not. This was punches falling off of the. Uh, 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 staircase, you know, and then throwing her into the, throwing the other girl into the um, jukebox and you taking the chair yeah. and hitting her over the head. You know, all this. Awesome. It, was, it was a knockout, dragout fight. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that you get to hit, like, people over the head with chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, 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 that is such an iconic movie. But, okay, Jim talked yes. about working with Richard Hatt. I'm curious what it was like working with Lauren Green. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, we were on the set so much. Everybody was on the set all the time. And all of these shows, we saw so many of these shows at Universal. It was like family over there. It was, you know, because you see all the same people at lunch. You see them, you know, wherever you went. And everybody was great. It was, you know, I have no complaints whatsoever. I mean, you know, Lauren Green was just amazing. They, they, I was blessed enough to work with some really, really nice people. I, very few were not nice. Oh wow, that's you know, that's kind of, incredible. You guys, <laughs> you guys, you guys, you talking it's about just, Kate Mulgrew. Let, let me tell you how what a wonderful lady she is. Oh, I bet. I mean, you, you, wow, she seems amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think Sandy a little bit here I, and there. I think, yeah. I actually, I actually I think, doubled her on uh, Kate Mulgrew because she um, most of the stuff she did was driving, so you know it didn't matter. I was a little shorter than her, but um, in when we did the fiftieth reunion in Vegas, I hadn't seen her what twenty years. 25 years at least and I wanted to say hello and she was in the main room signing autographs and the line was out the door 
<laughs> and my the guy the guy that was roughing me said, "No, come on, I'll bring you up. We'll walk over to the side and walk around. When she gets a break, I'll tell her that you want to say hello." So are you sure? I, I felt bad. And he said, no, 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 it's okay. So I walked over to the side, and I was waiting for her. She was signing autographs and talking to people. And the gentleman that was with me was waiting to talk, you know, to introduce me to her. And now don't forget, I'm talking 25 years ago at least that I had mm-hmm. seen her. Mm-hmm. She turned her head and saw me and went, oh, my God, Sandy. Oh. I came over and gave me a big <laughs> I was like. Oh my God! I, it was just—it was so cool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! That's amazing! Oh wow! Yeah, it made me feel so good. I can't tell you. She's oh. just—she's just incredible. She seems you know, so smart and just so like full she of is. life and just like yeah, she wow. Is. You know she was talking. And she's to got me. a. She's got to go sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I was just gonna say she. I she was talking to me and I'm sitting here. Kate, Kate, go, go sign autographs. Sure, all these people are waiting for you. She goes, I know. I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah. oh, <that's> okay. <laughs> you took priority. Yeah, yeah it was really nice. <laughs> and now she has a new Star Trek series, uh, animated series, Prodigy, coming out, which is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So. Well, um, we've, we've used up all of our time, Sandy. It just flies right by. No. Wow. Incredible. And uh, oh. I, I just want to say once again, I want to say happy birthday, and uh, <laughs> and and thank you for hanging out and and trek talking with us. It was a pleasure as always. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. And ho- so much hopefully, fun. hopefully, I can make it to one of the conventions and I can actually get a chance to meet you in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would hopefully. be cool. <laughs> so. Anyways, know. thank you so, so much for hanging out with us in Trek Talking, and happy birthday, and have a good night. Thank you, guys, so much. Talk to you later. Good night, Sandy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, that was Sandy Gimple, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. But guess what? We're not done because we're right in the middle of our Star Trek birthdays, and we were just about to turn to Charles, which we're about to do. So, Charles. Continue on with our start. Do you want me to play the birthday song or just continue on? I'll just continue. Okay. Let's start off with Victor Branch, who played Tongo Rad in the TOS episode Way to Eden, and he also played Watson in TOS's Ellen of Troya. Love that episode. That's a great one. Spencer Garrett. Played Simon Tart in the TNG episode Drumhead and played Weiss in Voice episode of Flesh and Blood. Drumhead. Ah, so good. The boy. <laughs> Gotta call it Voy. Voy, yeah, no more Voy. Yeah, yep. way to go. Yep. Gotta be Voy. Sierra. Sierra. <laughs> uh, and Subcommander Selleck in TNG Data's Day. Subcommander? What race is that, Charles? Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> we always, on the podcast, we always think of Charles as a Vulcan because he loves yeah. Vulcans. Definitely. Yep. 
Henry Gibson played Neva in DS9's Profit and Loss. Ted Rooney played Varn in Void. Live, live fast and prosper. Great name for an episode. Yeah, that was great. Craig, Craig Richard Nelson played the Stan in Void, Living Witness, and and Craig in TNG as a matter of perspective. Paul William played Rule in Void, Void, Virtuosis. Jason Alexander played Kuros in Void, Think Tank. Jason Alexander, what? Yep, and say Rosalind what? Choice. <laughs> and Rosalind Choi played Soon Lee in the last two episodes of Matt. Oh! <laughs> and he also played Taco O'Brien in both TNG and DS9. And so I will take a quick look at her IMDB, and that woman has got a lot of credit. Like 139 credits. Yeah. On her list. Yeah, and she's another one of those characters like uh, like Neelix or any of these other unpopular characters that I will defend until the day that I die because I don't think she was just a nag. I think there was something deeper going on there, and they just did well, not have good enough writers to develop it. I don't look at her as a minor as a minor character. Not at all. She was a part of some many seriously good episodes. Yep, yep, absolutely. The classroom. Yep. The classroom and that that political story, boy, that just that still rings true. Well, and I do not, I do not like. It's kind of funny that Lower Decks, you know, says that O'Brien is the, you know, or was it Lower Decks? Yeah, says that O'Brien was the most important person in the future because I. Do not think that you can talk about O'Brien without talking about Keiko. Like you just cannot, right? Nope. They are they are one and the same and and some and some people will like get down on Keiko, but I really think she was a powerful woman oh. and like it yeah, kinda helped yeah, like keep she was and she sort of helped keep yeah. O'Brien on the straight and narrow. Like that boy wanted to go drink whiskey and have fun, right? And she like kept him on the well, straight that's, and narrow. That's the exact reason why when they married, they kept her in the Bo series. They let her keep. They let her go to DS9 and join them in DS9. He was Great important. Actress. Yep. Yeah. But I think we're working off a poor Jim because he wants to get the third list. Yeah, I've got some. I've got some good ones here, and I, I'm going to need some help with some of these. I should have given him the Charles. But anyways, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So, first of all, we'd like to say happy birthday to, to Suzanne Watson, who played Lethe in the TOS episode's Dagger of the Mind. We'd like to say happy birthday to Lorraine Vazoff, who played Irene Hansen, Seven of Nine's aunt, in the Voy episode, Author, Author. And we'd like to say a huge, this is, you know, I think this birthday list is a kind of a personal one, because some of these people on this list we know, like this next guy. Yeah. He was great. Uh, we'd like to say happy birthday to Dimitri Valtain from Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country and Boys episode 
flashback. And of course, I'm talking about Jeremy Roberts. We had him on the podcast not too long ago, and he was great. Yeah. So happy birthday to Jeremy Roberts. And here we go. Go oh, for it, Jim. Oh, you can do it. Oh, I got it if you don't. Right. But but let's, okay. see, let's see what you got. <laughs> I've got I've got two in a row here. We're gonna start with this one. <laughs> um, Babs Alsumakan. Not bad. Right. Not bad. Uh, when he said it, he said Alusin Makun. Okay, so I was close. You were pretty and, close. Uh, he, I was pretty close. And of course, he's going to be starring in the yet to be seen series. Strange New Worlds, and he's going to be reprising a character who originally was on TOS, and that's Dr. Mbenga. So happy birthday to Babs. Uh, here we go. You got it. Here's another one. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to say it's Owen, Owen, Oldejo, Olajo. You know, not bad. Olajo. Olajo. A lot of hole. A lot of Okay, yeah. I see that. You were, yeah, I, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. I, I see that. And she played Joanne Awushikan or Owo on Star Trek Discovery. Which I, rest, it's, I, like, what a cool character. And I love that they developed her just a little bit. I want more, right? I want more about her. They, they, we got a little bit more about her in the comics, but uh, I want more. She's such a cool character. Yeah, she is awesome. With the mountain I, I climbing like and whatnot. Yeah, just like cool stuff. And the the uh, pearl diving and holding her breath. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. That's pretty cool. And we'd also like to say uh, happy birthday to Carolyn McCormick, who played Minuet in the TNG episode 11001100110. Uh, too many. No, no, uh, you just said something <laughs> entirely different, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, binary, buddy. <laughs> those are the binars uh, from that episode, and they created an awesome character. And when the binars took away her personality, she just became just another hologram for Riker to uh, hang out with. So, happy oh, birthday yeah. to Carolyn McCormick. So We'd also like to say hello and happy birthday to Carl Held, who played Lieutenant Lindstrom in the TOS episode Return of the Archons. As I said earlier, I think one of the first episodes of TOS that I remember seeing. And very relevant for tonight's Lower Decks, by the way. What? Yup, yup, absolutely. And we want to say happy birthday to Aldous Hodge, who played Kraft Funny Face in Short Treks episode Calypso, which I'm still trying to figure out how it's going to fit into everything. It's I got to figure it out, Jim. I gotta figure it out. Oh, you do. But I, I, I like his other name better, Quarrel. That what a great name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's um, Aldous Hodge, and that's a great short trip for you guys. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Leonard Crowfoot, who played Trent in TOG TNG's episode Angel One, and I don't know how, what to call this him, but. He played Law, the them. unchosen version of Law in yeah. TNG, The Offspring. He was kind of the gold um, angle looking version well, of Law before well, Law became a woman. Well, the generic version. Yeah. The, the generic yeah. version it was before a, they it went was through the, the basic the, version before they decided to take yeah. off form. 
And right. and remember, that's the episode where we get our one look at a TNG era. Um, oh my God, I just lost my mind. The blue race. Um, Andorians. Andorians, yes. You get our one look at at a TNG era Andorian, and it looks weird. It's got like <laughs> giant yeah. rock star hair or something. I don't even know. It's weird. Yeah, it was it was different. Um, and, and of course I always, I always put the Klingon last, but I didn't put the Klingon last in this case because we have somebody else I wanted to do last. And, uh, so, uh, we want to say happy birthday and kapla to Bob Heron, who played k in the TOS episode, The Savage Curtain. Um, he also stunt doubled Jeffrey Hunter, Captain Pike in The Cage, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, because I'm wondering if he actually interacted with our next birthday, oh, uh, who yeah. also played a Pelosian in the cage. And of course, I'm talking about the awesome, the incredible Sandy Gimple, who we just talked to a few minutes ago. Happy birthday to Sandy. She played the M113 creature, a.k.a. Salt Vampire in the Man Trap. She was also a Pelosian in the cage. And I wonder if Bob and her had a little tussle in in the cage if that was if that was her that he had his hands around her neck i'm not sure but happy birthday to sandy and now we're going to move on to star trek news priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel incoming transmission enter authorization code command codes verified define parameters of program level nine authorization required Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. And Charles, you have our first story of the night. Okay. Star Trek Discovery wins Emmy for Big Television Academy Academy Handout Awards for Creative Arts Emmy. Up for... Contention this year for the third season of Circuit Discovery and the first season of Lower Deck. But Discovery took home the sole win for outstanding special visual effects in a single episode. The visual effects work for the episode two call beat out competition from the Crown, Nevers, Vikings, and the Umbrella Academy. This is the third season in a row Discovery's been nominated for visual effects, and it's their first win. Discovery now joins the next generation Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise as Star Trek series' Emmy, Emmy winners for visual effects. This is the second overall Emmy win for the show, which took home the trophy in season one for outstanding prosthetic makeup. Star Trek Lower Decks was nominated for Outstanding Sound Editing for a comedy or drama series, Half Hour, and animation, but lost out to Love, Death, Plus Robots. Yep. Congratulations, Discovery, for that one. That's a good episode to pick on that one, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots okay, going on. Eric. I, love, I know you enjoy a good conversation with Dr. Palat. Mm-hmm, I really do. Uh, and, yeah, it's kind of funny because 
I started thinking about Dr. Pulaski uh, with regards to Dr. Taana from Lower Decks, which we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. But I have a really super cool article that I completely agree with. Um, and y'all who poo-poo Dr. Pulaski, open up your heart and take a listen, and maybe we can uh, maybe we can convince you how Dr. Pulaski helped the next generation find its feet. If you've been watching Star Trek Lower Decks, then you probably noticed that Dr. Taan is clearly based on the notorious Dr. Pulaski from Star Trek The Next Generation. Dr. Taan is, in some ways, a hilariously exaggerated version of Pulaski. The leap that TNG made with Data wasn't just to convince us that he was artificial. Somehow, that was given. The idea that Data didn't want to be thought of as artificial is what made him compelling, but... Because the TNG crew all just accepted this right away, Pulaski changed all that. Because unlike the rest of the crew, she didn't accept the basic idea of data right away. In her, and this is why many people don't like her, I will say. In her very first episode, The Child, Pulaski objects to data comfort, uh, comforting Troy during the birth of her baby, telling data that Troy doesn't want the, quote, cold touch of technology which you know some people attribute racism to her almost or xenophobia uh, at least towards data naturally troy objects and is fine with data holding her hand while giving birth in the same episode pulaski mispronounces data's name as data instead of data this leads to data's classic retort one is my name the other is not by making Data stick up for his basic Dataness, Pulaski creates a foil for the character, which only made the writing for Data stronger as the series went on. Because Will Wheaton's Wesley was such a big part of the ethos of early TNG, it's also easy to forget how much he became himself in season two. And I totally agree with this. Pulaski's presence allowed the character of Wesley to grow and change. Just like Tasha dying in season one of TNG, Crusher's departure in season two was useful in, in one. These events led the audience to know that no character was safe. People could die pre-Game of Thrones, right? People could leave. And in season three, that meant people could get assimilated by the Borg. Pulaski's presence in season two subtly helped push the show into darker and more serious territory. The third season of The Next Generation is clearly the moment where the series becomes the confident and prestigious show we think of today, which is why I always tell people, if you haven't watched Star Trek before, start with TNG Season 3. Season 3 wouldn't have worked without Pulaski, but it needed her to get there. And I totally agree, you guys. Um, you know, the, the more you hate on Pulaski, if you actually go back and watch TNG again, she is actually... And, and you have to kind of put aside what we know about the actresses and what was going on in the real world. But from a totally, like, show standpoint, she created a counterpoint to, um, you know, to Crusher's, like, sort of sweet nature that totally recalled Bones. And now that we are post-Bones uh, era and we're into kind of the Lower Decks era, Tana is now carrying the torch for this grumpy doctor who is super talented, everybody actually loves them, and yet, um, you know, they're just a little bit misunderstood. Remember the Klingon episodes with Dr. Pulaski and how good those are, how well she connects 
to war. So uh, I'm a big Pulaski fan. I could preach on my soapbox all day about her. Uh, and I do think that she helped out TNG quite a bit in season two, kind of get to that season three where it really took off and became the amazing series that it was. Yeah, and I think the article is completely right. Just imagine if um, on TOS, for instance, if Dr. McCoy went off uh, somewhere and they replaced him with a new doctor who referred to Mr. Spock as Mr. Spoke and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and treated Spock the way she treated data. Imagine how things would have been back then. And I yeah, think and that, I, yeah, I, I think the writers, I, I think that what happened with Pulaski is the writers, Gene Roddenberry wanted everybody to be friends and everybody gets along and there's no strife. There's no problems. There's no conflict. And the writers just went so far in the opposite direction that they made you hate her because they, the, the way they wrote her was that, first of all, when we first meet her, she's, Captain Picard tells her to come to the bridge. She never shows up. And she leaves Picard standing there as she takes off to go off with Troy and doesn't even report to the captain. Then she's you know, having problems with, with data. And she was just written to be that way. And I think that was something that happened too fast for fans. And it was too radically different from what we were used to. And it was destined to fail the way they, well, the way they wrote it. Yeah, I totally think you're right, Jim. And, and, and the reason, and I'm, I'm promised I will not spend too much time on the soapbox, but I think part of the reason that Pulaski was such a failure back in the day was that people were just not ready for her. They were just not ready for somebody who came in and sort of like threw a wrench in the works and, um, you know, questioned what was going on right then. They had spent the entire first season making you like all of these characters, making you kind of like want to know more about these characters. And then she comes in and puts in a little bit too much strife. So, yes, Roddenberry had his rules about no conflict between characters and whatnot, but I mean, you know, green-blooded Vulcan, uh, you know, McCoy does his share of insults against Spock even in TOS, and uh, and I would say that Pulaski sort of continued that tradition. And you know, I, trust me, I love Crusher. Um, you know, Gates McFadden is is uh, like I put her a little bit probably on the pedestal more than I should. Uh, she's amazing, but I will say that that Pulaski is an excellent character that people underrate, in my opinion, just a little bit. And I think if she had been given more than one season, you would have seen why she showed up the way she did, why she came out swinging hard, and people were, you know, I mean, it was the 90s, early 2000s, man. People were just not ready for a woman who came out swinging hard like that. No, definitely not. And the final, well, no, not the final, but my story, uh, Star Trek, the motion picture 4K director's edition remaster reveals the first look. During the Star Trek Day celebration, Paramount Plus revealed the first look at its upcoming 4K Ultra HD Star Trek, the motion picture director's edition remaster. Wow, say that three times fast. 
Uh, the shown scene is one of the computer-generated scenes inside V'ger. Wow, they spelled V'ger wrong in the article. <laughs> um, inside V'ger, created for the director's edition's original release on DVD in 2001. The clip shows the footage as it appeared in the initial release compared to how it looks rendered in 4K ultra-high definition. The 4K restoration of Star Trek The Motion Pictures Director's Edition is headed for its debut exclusively on Paramount Plus streaming service. The film will use Dolby Vision's high dynamic range and a new Dolby Atmos soundtrack. Oscar-winning director Robert Wise directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, but was not satisfied with the film's theatrical cut. Completed on a tight, unmovable deadline. The director's edition allowed Wise to achieve his vision, returning the abandoned elements, including lost visual effect shots, when released on VHS and DVD in 2001. This version of the movie never got a Blu-ray release, making the 4K restoration especially welcome. I tell you what, I, I just can't wait to see what this is going to look like. And I'm, I'm excited about it myself. I'm telling you, this, um, is, this is the article, Jim, that makes me want to buy a better TV. I, I, I got to tell you, I watched, I was up at camp last week and it was raining. So I grabbed my Kindle and I went back and Karen, Karen and Jamie were watching, I don't know, something that I didn't really want to watch. I went back and I laid on the bed with the dog and I put on my headphones, put on my Kindle and I watched Star Trek, the motion picture. And oh, um, comfort. It's like, it's I, like a I, pile I, of mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know what it is? I, I, I hear people complaining about this movie endlessly. And oh, so good though. It's such this movie is the most Star Trekky Star Trek movie I think that they ever made. It's it's what Star Trek is. Um it just okay, you can complain that they spent too much time in Viger and but the soundtrack is outstanding. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Um, the fly around of the Enterprise with Scotty is just, you would never see something like that happen today, but it's just introducing you to this character that you've grown up with. It's just, yeah. Isn't it funny? How, I love like, it. These days, I feel like we're relegated to homages to that. Like, nobody, you're right, nobody would take the time to spend whatever it was, four minutes, or I can't remember the exact amount we talked about on uh, the episode where we reviewed um, the motion picture. But, like, you know, it takes a very long time to go around, and nobody would take that time now, but we do get homages to it where people sort of say, oh, yeah, remember when they did this really cool flyby? But if you allow yourself to get caught up in the moment and just really get absorbed in the film, it's a really special moment for sure. It is. It's. It's. Uh, it, I enjoy it. I really, really enjoy it. When I, when I'm in the mood and I want to go back and 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 I watch the motion picture. Um, you know, there's no violence. Well, other than the Klingons in the beginning, which blow my mind, phenomenal. Well, uh, and the the other thing that's really cool, Jim, is if you're sitting there watching this on your tablet with your headphones in, the soundtrack for that movie is amazing with all the cool yeah. like, pads on the keyboards and like. The way it sounds so like barrel, barrel, and it's just like, oh man, I'm so technologically like overstimulated right now. 
really and you know what? The the bridge of the Enterprise looks yeah. and sounds and feels like a bridge. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of pings and beeps and things going around, and the bridge has has a, a shape to it and a life of its own. It's just it, not. I, I don't want to get hate mail, but it doesn't look like a bunch of cardboard sets with 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 poker chips glued on the chairs. It, it actually looks functional, and and I think a lot of people don't give the movie enough credit for what it was trying to do, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to the 4K version. So listen, guys, we have one more story, but we have to take our first break. Of the evening. We haven't taken one yet, but we're going to take one right now. So um, quick, run, don't walk to the bathroom. Grab some chicken wings, grab some pizza, um, whatever it is you want to do, and uh, hurry back because we are not done. We still have to talk about uh, Lower Decks, which aired today, by the way, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We have some spoilers for that, so you don't want to miss that. And we have one more story. Shatner says, what? Only this week. The difference is Shatner's going to say, what? in his own words, and you're going to hear it right from his own lips. So run, don't walk to the bathroom. We'll be right back after this quick message. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. And, um, well, we not, never actually left, but we're back. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We always like to, whenever I can find an article, William Shatner says some pretty um, interesting, interesting things. Yes, yes. And that's a good word. So uh, we came up with a, a segment that we like to call Shatner Says What? And whenever I find an interesting article from Shatner, we'll, we'll throw it on the podcast under the Shatner Says What segment. Well, this week, I found, last week we talked about the Get a Life skit from Saturday Night Live, and we played that for you guys. This week, though, um, Eric, Eric, uh, why don't you take it away from here? Oh, my gosh. I, my favorite part about this article is trying to read it in a Shatner voice. <laughs> 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 so Star Trek, William Shatner judges celebrity Captain Kirk impressions. Can you believe that? Yeah, there's no uh, doubt that William – I know. Yeah. No doubt uh, William Shatner helped create one of the most iconic characters in science fiction in Star Trek's Captain James Kirk. One such cost of having such an influence on the pop culture are actors who do their own impressions of Shatner, including his cinematic successor in the Kelvin Universe actor – Christopher Pine, who uh, who actually like uh, studied Shatner quite a bit to try and sort of like, you know, give him a little bit of kudos, but not totally emulate him. Vanity Fair lined up a number of actors featuring Seth MacFarlane, K. 
Kevin Pollack, Jason Alexander, Jim Carrey, John Belushi, Bill Nye, Bruce Campbell, and Sam Levine. Holy smokes, what a what a group of people. On this special Shatner Says What, we actually have Shatner saying what, in his own words, uh, is something special. Well, so enjoy. Jim, what you got for us? So I ripped the audio off the Vanity Fair interview with Shatner, and I'm going to play that for you guys. It's hilarious. It's funny. And when we're done, (laughs) we're going to talk about it ourselves. So sit back and enjoy. This is the William Shatner interview from Vanity Fair, where he's critiquing other people's impersonations of him. I don't know what they're doing. I don't talk like that. Mr. Spock, my friend, we've got to do something. As you can tell, I don't talk like that. Although the faces seem the same. This is the way I talk. I talk like this. Okay? <laughs> the lives of 430 crewmen stand in the balance. This is hysterical, really. What show are we on? At the possibility, the potential. Hello, I'm William Shatner, and for some reason, unknown to me, people impersonate me. I don't know what they're doing. So I'm going to review some of these uh, impressions, and I'll give you a blow-by-blow as we go along, okay? Uh, why do people do impressions of me? I don't know. They think they're being funny, and I guess some of them are, but every time it happens, I nudge my wife, who's usually sitting beside me, and I say, what are they doing? And she says, they're doing an impression of you, and it, I don't see it. I don't, I, I don't see it. I, I, I don't see it. <laughs> Death, disease, destruction, horror. (laughs) He's laughing while he's doing it, so he knows it's not working. That's what war is all about. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. That's what war is, Councilman. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. You've made it neat and painless. You've made it neat and simple. So neat and painless, you've had no reason to stop it. So neat and simple that you've had no reason to stop it. And you've had it for 500 years. And you've had it for 500 years. (laughs) See, Seth MacFarlane is very funny. He's a very funny man. Every so often, comics tell a joke in a club, and the joke doesn't go over, and they say, yeah, well, I'm here until Thursday or something like that. That's what Seth needs to have done on that impression. I'm here until Thursday, folks. Thank you very much. Something strange has happened. Since crashing through a cosmic cloud, I've noticed a peculiar change in the behavior of my crew, although the faces seem the same. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, Kevin, Kevin is like he's manic. He's like he's got a strange twitch. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand the twitch. And I know Kevin. I, I think of Kevin as a friend of mine. I, 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 I directed him in a half-hour comedy. He's very funny. He's playing the comedy. He's not playing. I, oh, come on. What would you change about his impression to make better? He doesn't sound like me. It doesn't even look like me. Come on. You're, you're beginning to annoy me, Max. Okay. Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the inherent risk in dealing with any alien species. You know, I know Jason rather well. I've invited him three times to Monday Night Football at my house, and he's been busy or he's turned me down, so I'm not inviting him anymore. So that's probably why he's doing this impression, which is not bad. But risk, risk is our business. The amazing part about Jason's impression is he knows the dialogue. He's memorized 
the dialogue from the show. That's what the Starship is all about. That's why we're aboard. That's why we're aboard her. Even a spaceship, for God's sakes. Spock, who is he? He looks great in the uniform. So it looks so good, he can do anything he wants. That's how good he looks in it. That's Poppycock. These people are perfectly free to do anything they want. His interpretation of me lacks a certain masculinity. Why do you say that? Max, come on. <laughs> For God's sake! Range, Mr. Tulu? 0.04 light years, sir, and closing fast. Lieutenant O'Hara, open a hailing frequency. I've been trying to raise them, but there's no response. Pretty here. good. This is Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. Identify yourself. See, I like the way... Jim Carrey looked in the uniform. Not too fond of the way Belushi looks. Otherwise, it's not bad. Do you remember the sketch running? Max, you're beginning to annoy me. Spock, can you fix it? Just fine, you do no harm. I'm not familiar with the mechanics of plasma systems, but I do know someone who is. My brother. You have a brother. The guy that's playing Spock really is good. Romulans could fire at any moment. Spockle. Give it your best shot, all right? No problem. Think of the ramifications of what Chris Pine is doing. It's Captain Kirk playing Captain Kirk. And that mirror image shimmers back and forth and will go on into infinity. Scan the Excalibur. Is there any light? Bill Nye is the science guy. What's he doing doing an impression? You have killed. He's doing a wonderful impression, except he's bent over. As though his stomach is contracting and pulling him forward. So he's leaning forward. His, his attitude is completely wrong. You have destroyed! So the, the impression is not bad, but the attitude is totally wrong. It's just, it's, it's not working, man. It's just not working. Uh, would you see anything about it that is working? The only thing that's working is that Bill Nye becomes the science guy. Normally, Shatner talks at a pretty lightning-fast pace. He's William Shatner. He's talking. And when sometimes the lines aren't as obvious to him, he slows down. <laughs> Becomes more deliberate in his approach. Until he gets it, then he's back sitting up again. He's talking. See, Bruce Campbell's an actor, and he knows that actors, me anyway, what the hell is the next... Oh, I can remember the next words. And he's right. So Bruce Campbell is really the most knowledgeable. Wait a minute. A guy is going to do impression of me for an audition to be on a show? This I have got to see. My toupee flies off in a vase of small girl. He's a child. I'm talking like this because my girdle is killing me. This kid's got to go back to preschool. He's too young. This is a toddler doing an impression of me. Well, that's an insult. It's an insult. Why would he do that? Did he get the job? <laughs> so, you know, first of all, I got to say that Shatner, in, while he was talking, was doing the Shatner talk that they were impersonating that he said he doesn't do. Did you catch that? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think the pauses, the dramatic pauses 
that he that people make fun of, well, that they, when they impersonate him, are completely accurate because that's exactly what he does when he's Captain Kirk. Well, I think one well, thing that people have to remember is that William Shatner is old. Remember, guys, he's 90 years old. So he is old enough to have been brought up in the ways of uh, the school of vaudeville. And if you know anything about vaudeville, you know that vaudeville is all about kind of overacting, over-enunciating, wearing lots and lots of makeup so that you can be seen from the stage, um, wearing amazing costumes so that you are uh, popping off of the stage. So, you know, that was the world in which he was raised. And when he got to Star Trek, he had that vaudeville training. And so he decided that there must be dramatic pauses because that was part of theater. And and you guys got to remember that, like, there's a crossover between theater and television that happens right around the same time that Star Trek is becoming popular. And William Shatner is a great example of somebody who spanned those two genres um, and actually brought, you know, uh, people make fun of him because it's so dramatic. But, you know, imagine you're sitting in, in an audience uh, – at some random, like, uh, I don't know, uh, state fair or some place where there's, where there's uh, some theater going on, you, in order to understand what's going on, you need big moves. You need lots of color. You need lots of drama. You need um, lots of sound. And that's what vaudeville was all about. If you watch any of that old stuff, that's what it was all about. And William Shatner came from that school. So, I don't fault him for being the guy who puts lots of pauses and stuff into his talk, but it is interesting to watch him critique other people uh, doing his impressions. He he sort of ragged on the guy who was young just a little bit, but I thought he gave Jim Carrey some pretty good kudos along the way there. I thought it was funny when he said that Jim Carrey looked good in the uniform, but but Jim Belushi didn't. And I'm like, well, that's how you look in the uniform today. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, um, yeah, Shatner is a classic. And uh, he always will be. He is. You know? And people, like, you just got to, like, when you watch Shatner, you have to go back to the days of old theater and understand where he came from and understand why he talks like that. Otherwise, you just think it's ridiculous. But trust me, man, go back and watch the silent films and then see the stuff that came out right from the talkies at the very beginning and see how, he, how they translate, uh, you know, stage acting to the screen. And that is the way that William Shatner communicates. In it was great to have a Shatner says what segment where Shatner actually says what. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Was All right, guys, we're not done yet. Uh, we're going to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks, um, um, the episode that was on this, uh, well, a few hours ago, actually. Uh, where Pleasant Fountains Lie. It marks the return of Jeffrey Combs to Star Trek. But before we do that, I have to do this. Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. That's right. We are going to give you some heavy-duty spoilers. 
And basically, we're going to talk about the episode. So hopefully you've already watched it. If you haven't watched it yet, quick run, watch it, and hurry on back so you don't miss any of the fun. Uh, we don't want to ruin anything for you. So anyways, Star Trek Lower Decks, um, we, I'm going to play a, a quick trailer for you guys just because I can. Attention all hands. Report to your commanding officer. We have to work Yes. Look alive, people. Our lives will be on the line. But we are starfleet, and we never back down from a challenge. Oh, and the ballroom dancing competition will have to be postponed. Ah, nothing ruins breakfast like a work assignment. I smell adventure. Every ship in the fleet depends on officers like us to keep them running. Ah, friggin' radiation! Collecting weird spacecraft is part of the fun of Starfleet. Break for impact! I'm okay. It's just a fracture. Just? Oh, God, I can't even look at it! You will be assimilated. Can't have that. That's Starfleet. And that was the Lower Deck second half teaser trailer that was released on Star Trek Day. And Charles, do you want to start us off with uh, tonight's episode of Lower Decks? Okay. Um, this was an interesting one because we get a story A and a story B. Story A is the captain's down below on uh, down below on the planet, and they successfully thwarted a civil war between the cultures, and basically find out it's blamed on a computer, an evil computer which we'd rather have seen familiar <laughs> before. Hello, Return of the Archons. Yeah. And there's a couple of episodes we've had that we've had evil computers. Sure, you got the M5, oh. etc. Yeah. So we found out, okay, they've got this computer. And the computer is begging to uh, be plugged into a computer. As I have to disconnect my... She's busy responding responding to me saying her word. And I think the big spoiler in this one is we find out the evil computer... It's Jeffrey Combs, a very recognizable person for many of the different roles he's played in Star Trek. But Boimler's talking about this great mission he gets to go on to, and he's ready to go on to it, and he finds out, nope, he's been transferred to a mission to move the computer off to the Datum Institute. And basically, we have the adventures of Boimler and Mariner 
on the planet. And the issues they have to survive the planet they've crash landed on. And having to deal with this evil computer that's trying to take wants to find any way you can to attach a computer and try conquering the world. And of course he gets his uh, he gets his true undo at the end when he's put against other evil. As he's got the other half, so we find out the chief engineer is a prince and mom's the queen. Reminds me a little bit of Deanna and her mom. And all the tricks that mom wants to get through trying to get son to be part of royal part of taking his seat as king. And what he has to do to become king. And not to spoil that one too much, but that's kind of the direction that story goes. So we have an interesting little death scene in there that we find out how that turns out. Definitely how much Cindy cares for Rutherford. But what did I miss? Wow. Uh, I, I, you know, well, I thought you did a great job, Charles, actually. Um, this episode for me was kind of a, um, a tale of two episodes. Um, I thought there were some real hits on this episode, and then I thought there were some absolute misses. Um, the, for me, the, the story with Mariner and Boimler and the computer, I actually thought that was kind of funny. Uh, and the fact that there's this manipulative computer that, you know, is trying to get them to do things all the time, voiced by Jeffrey Combs, uh, you know, it was pretty funny. I mean, they, they tried a few different things. They got really tired. They, you know, land on some random planet. Uh, they kind of get worn out and, you know, almost turn against each other uh, as a result. So, you know, I was relatively entertained by that uh part of the story. Um, I kind of like the, the way the computer almost looked like a HAL 9000 from, uh, from 2001 back in the day. Um, you know, the Billups story just totally missed for me, honestly. Like, so the, so, you know, Jim didn't play the spoiler alert thing, but spoiler alert, uh, what happens here is we learn that Billups is a prince of this planet. And that in order for him to, like, take over the princehood, he has to have sex. He has to lose his virginity. And, in fact, the whole concept is that Billups doesn't want to lose his virginity. He wants to be, uh, you know, somebody who who hasn't had sex. And uh, he just wants to focus on his Starfleet career and being an awesome engineer and that kind of stuff. Um, So... You know, while I applaud the show's, like, willingness to sort of focus a little bit on um, maybe people who fall outside the spectrum of 
folks who, you know, either want to have sex on a normal basis or, or that kind of thing, they just like, they do him a disservice to me in this episode. Um, you know, he's forced to, to like almost do something that he doesn't want to do. That's pretty explicit. Um, it didn't seem funny to me, uh, at all. <laughs> I didn't like, I wasn't giggling at this B story at all. Um, I, I really like the Mariner and Boimler story in this episode, but the whole bill of story just hit me in the absolutely the wrong way. This is by far my least favorite episode of Lower Decks. So what do you think, Jim? I, I, I agree completely. I thought the Boimler uh, stuff with Mariner on the planet and Jeffrey Combs trying to talk them into giving him water. He'll, he'll, he'll give them cheeseburgers and blueberry muffins and all that stuff. It was great. And his little, and she says to keep her, his, keep your tentacles to yourself as he's trying to shoot his, his cords out and hook them up to the computer. I, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. And also did you guys get the SETI Alpha 5 vibe from the planet they crashed on? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, Absolutely, I, like, got sucked into here, and there's, like, a, so like a rogue planet, right? Yeah, it was kind of like Wrath of Khan type of deal going on there, which I thought was really cool. And um, the, the only thing I liked about – well, first of all, the, the B story with this planet that run, that – that has dragons and elves and magic and all this I mean, stuff. That's I just, fun, right? It's fun. I mean, but fun. I just didn't, but not I, I didn't, I didn't buy into it at all. Yeah. I just didn't, yeah. it just didn't seem to move the story or have any relevance. It wasn't even funny to me. Um, so I didn't, didn't like that, you know, at all. But when, uh, when Rutherford dies, uh, the scene with Tendi was was well done. I thought. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, that I mean, scene was well done. and Tendi have such a special relationship in this show. It, they're actually one of my favorite, like, sort of side stories. You know, when when they get together, they both have such enthusiasm and just such lust for what they're doing that you can't help but get caught up in it. I really love them. Yeah, they 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 were good. But what was going on with this Billups story, man? It was like, I don't know. It was, and 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 I'm trying to understand it on multiple levels. Like, uh, okay, so I'm trying to understand it on the level of, okay, Billups is this guy who doesn't want to lose his virginity, and that is fine. Like that to me is. Star Trek reaching out and being representational of people who live in that space, right? People who don't make um, sexual in- encounters part of their regular daily life. And that is a totally, absolutely normal way to live. But the way that they handled it in this episode was they established Billups as that kind of a guy, and then they force him to do something based on his, like, lineage almost like king arthur style you know who's next in line it just it i have to tell you like of all the star trek episodes we've watched recently this one felt the least star trekky to me i mean it was cute 
and there was some fun stuff, but what the heck was going on with the villain story? It was just like a total mystery. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really care for that at all. But the but the Boimler Mariner story made up for it. It I was thought. funny. It was pretty good. Yeah. I was here Combs as the evil computer trying to talk them into doing things right. for him. He came up with some great stuff like, I'll give you cheeseburgers. I'll give you milkshakes. I'll give you blueberry muffins. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's trying, and he's uh, it, it was the great. Little, the little devil on your shoulder, right? Like, telling you what you want to hear. Exactly. I thought that was great. And and when they finally get him to the Daystrom Institute, as Charles said, and they lock him up in the in the vault, and he starts, I'm going to take over Starfleet. I'm going to take over the planet. And then all of a sudden, the computer next to him says, oh, no, you're not, because I'm going to take over the planet. And then another computer. And before you know it, there's 100 evil computers all saying they're going to take over the planet, and and he's drowned out over all the other evil computers. I loved it. I thought I thought that was great. You know? Yeah, that, that part um, was amazing. That was, that was funny. Uh, but overall, though, um, this was not my favorite episode so far. I, I would think this is, would be my least favorite episode so far. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jim. I mean, I, I cannot, like, in good conscience, rate this episode above about a six for me. Um, and that's being a little bit generous. Uh, that's mostly because of the Boimler and Mariner story, uh, because the Billups story was a total miss and, and just really like, I don't know, man, it just did not feel good to me while I was watching it. And, you know, the part in the beginning when, when, uh, Boimler is polishing up his phaser rifle and he's going to go down and he's going to wrestle with the centipedes and stuff. It takes two hands. That's why it's it's, yeah, it takes two hands. <laughs> and then Mariner goes and and uh, and 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 talks to um, to the first officer there and says, "Hey, you know, don't send him on this mission. He doesn't want to go." And then he finds out about it. And I thought they played that scene really well because I really actually thought he was pissed off at her, but he was actually trying to fool the computer which he did. He fooled me too, but he fooled the computer as well. And I think that just goes to show how the character of Boimler has matured since his time on the Titan, because I don't think that character would have done something like that last season. Yeah, I agree with you, Jim. And I actually thought that that was kind of a cool tie-in to the TOS episode, Return of the Archons, because obviously we've all seen like computers that are worshipped by people in the past. Uh, and it was a great way to lead into that part of the story. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but I, I also agree that the, the B story, I just wasn't interested in it. I, I just didn't. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It was weird, man. It was like, this is the very first. So, so I have a, a kid who's in her like tween to teenage years. And like, this was the first episode, even even the like uh, Gumato, <laughs> Mugato, like humping the log was like I could kind of be okay with that, but this one I'm just like I don't even know, I don't even know what to say with this one. I kind of feel like we're we're probably gonna skip this episode. Well, 
the thing with the with the Mugatu and the log, and then the Mugatu watching and stroking his tusk and stuff. It, it was, was it was it was, it was played for humor. Yeah. It was played for to be funny, and and you know it, it was meant that maybe younger kids wouldn't have caught that, whereas adults would have. Right. And it was a Mugatu. It was a yeah. Mugatu. Come on. Yeah. It was it was just a whole circumstance and situation that that happened was just humorous and it was played that way but this particular episode was not played that way this was played serious and it it, it didn't work for me um yeah i'm very interested i'm very interested to hear uh other podcasts review this episode because i feel like this episode is going to be a total fail um when it comes to a lot of people's You know, because you think about, okay, so what makes Star Trek Star Trek? A, you should have some kind of morality play where at the end you either are left with some sort of question that you have to contemplate or you're left with some sort of answer that has been resolved in the episode that makes you think about, you know, what it means to be human and and that kind of stuff. Um, This episode went to some really uncomfortable places and um, and like forced people to do things related to sex that they did not want to do. So I'm sorry, man. That's like that's a little bit like I don't really believe in taboos, but that's a little bit taboo territory there because it's just not funny. No, it 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 it, 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 it kind of felt like um, to me like the scene in Nemesis where the viceroy is is mentally raping Deanna Troy. Yeah, um, totally. It kind of it kind of had that feel for me where this guy was being forced um he was basically being raped is what it what what it came down to. Yeah, pretty and much. And you know, I I I didn't care for it. And uh, it's almost like they had different writers. It's like the people that wrote the, these the, other it was great like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. it's like it, it's the the vibes that they've had going on so far in the season just kind of all went out the window and they got different people. I mean, I didn't read the credits to see who wrote this particular one or, but it just didn't have the feel of the, unless they had two different writing teams, maybe somebody wrote the Boimler and Mariner stuff on the planet and they had a different team, write That second story. I don't know, but at any rate, not my favorite. And, um, I, I would say I would give it maybe a 6.5, maybe a 6.6, only because I love the, the, the Mariner Boimler stuff on the planet with Jeffrey Combs um, myself. Well, how about you, Charles? I was going to say, I was going to split this episode. The Mariner story, Mariner Boimler story, I'd give this a good seven, seven and a half at least. Maybe seven point eight. That go down to at least a six for the the uh, engineer story. That story just—I agree with you too. That story just wasn't 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 what this season needed. No, absolutely, I agree completely. Well, guys. Uh... Wow, that wraps up our show. Can you believe it? 
No. You're having fun. I want to keep talking. I want to keep talking. I just, first of all, we have to say super, super thank you to Sandy Gimple for coming on tonight and truck talking with us. She's always great to hear from and um, a pleasure to talk with her. So happy birthday to Cindy Gimple, and thank you for coming on and, and Trek talking with us. I also have to say thank you to my Trek experts. I, I couldn't do this show without you guys, so thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Charles. Always fun to talk Trek, and then we got to talk to Sandy, too. Learn that, and that's I didn't always know about fun. her. You, oh, you didn't know Sandy? I didn't tell you Sandy was going to be on? No, I didn't realize she was an airplane. Oh, right. No, me neither. Me neither. And um, I also have to want to say thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I had a lot of fun. Sandy is a riot every single time we talk to her. And uh, and I'm glad we were all on the same page in terms of this Lower Decks episode. Not not a great episode. I give it a, a 5.5 myself, way low compared to the rest of them. It was the weakest one, I think, so far. And, of course, thank you to each and every one of you guys, whether you're listening live or whether you're listening on any one of a plethora of podcast um, platforms that we're available on, whether you're listening live on Thursday night or on Tuesday morning or Saturday afternoon, uh, whether you're in the UK or Canada, doesn't matter. We appreciate each and every single one of you guys. And we're so happy to have you along and have you as part of our Star Trek family, our ever-growing global Star Trek family, I might add. And please head over and visit us on Facebook at Truck Talking and Beyond. Give us a like, give us a follow, and become an official member of our Star Trek family. And by all means, please, please put this phone number in your speed dial, 646-668-2433 so that on future shows, you can give us a call, you can talk to our guest stars, you can share your opinions on the episodes, Um, you can just call and say hello to us, because we're going to review every single episode of every single Star Trek. So keep that in mind, and keep us dialed. Oh, and that lady's telling me we only have a minute and a half to go, so without any further ado, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying... Please stay safe. Be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.